0: Welcome to Discipleship Unplugged Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Middleton. I'm the teaching elder at North Geelong Presbyterian Church. This is Season 1 and Episode 7. And today, we're going to begin to explore the Reformed understanding of the Mosaic Covenant. Now, in Episode 2, we offered a definition of God's covenants with us as a bond in blood sovereignly administered. Then, in episode three, we considered the covenant of redemption. And what we said was that all that is purposed in the eternal covenant, that is outside of history, that it must come to pass inside of history. And, and it works itself out in the historical covenants. In episodes four and five, we looked at the covenant of creation and the covenant of preservation, noting they were both universal or creational covenants. Episode 6, we explored the covenant that was made with Abraham, known as the Covenant of Promise, and noted that it was a particular covenant. It wasn't creational, but particular, because it was made with Abraham and with his seed. And so today, in Episode 7, we're going to look at what we call the Mosaic Covenant, or is often referred to as the Covenant of Law. Now, it's fair to say there's been a lot of discussion and disagreement about how we should understand the Mosaic Covenant. Dispensational and even some Reformed people argue that we should see the covenant of law, that is the Mosaic Covenant, as a as a kind of a republication of the covenant of works made with Adam, rather than perhaps an, an outworking of the covenant of promise made with Abraham. And even among those who see it as a outworking of the covenant of promise, there are still differences in how we understand the law. In reform thinking, the Mosaic law can be divided into three categories. Moral law, which is the ten words, and that's applied to individuals. The civil law, which is applied to the nation as a whole, as well as the ceremonial law, which applies to, obviously, the temple worship. At the risk of oversimplifying, Some in the reform camp called Theonomous, which means God's law, they, they argue that the moral and the civil aspects of the law are still binding in the New Testament. That is, Christians live by the Ten Commandments and they work towards the implementation of the Mosaic civil law in the land, in this case in Australia. Of course, There are those uh, who are outside the reform camp, we call them dispensationalists, and and they reject the idea that there is this continuity in the covenants. And so they see the covenant of law as a type of republication of the covenant of works, and as such, has no ongoing relationship to the new covenant. So if dispensationalists see a radical discontinuity between the covenant of law and the new covenant, Theonomists see a radical continuity between the New Covenant and the Covenant of Law. Dispensationalists say, if Old Testament law is not repeated in the New Covenant, it is abolished. The Theonomists say, unless the Old Testament law is repealed or abolished in the New Covenant, it is binding. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith rejects both of those positions and sees the covenant of law as part of that covenant of grace. In fact, the Mosaic covenant is viewed as an outworking of the covenant of promise, and that the law, yes, it has a threefold nature, moral, civil, and ceremonial, but it teaches that the moral law, which is, of course, uh, the same as natural law, is binding forever. However, the differences are it sees the ceremonial law as fulfilled in Christ and therefore abrogated under the new covenant and it sees the civil law having been expired with the nation israel as a body politic so having said those comments let's let's try and spend a little bit of time seeing how the covenant of law functions as an unfolding or a, a greater an expansion of that abrahamic covenant of promise at first, we need to remember that, that that the very heart of the covenant of promise is grace, are these gracious promises made to Abraham for family, land, and blessing. Now, redemptive history shows how God fulfilled these promises of family and land and blessing, and he, and he did that through Abraham's seed, because Abraham's seed grew into a numerous people. In fact, time you get to uh, the birth of Moses, Exodus 1-7 notes, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land, that is Egypt, was filled with them. Moreover, the Exodus from Egypt shows that God chose those people by grace. He redeemed them from, from slavery. More than that, he fulfilled his promise to give them a place to serve him, a land in which they could dwell in safety, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so we must understand that the covenant of law is not how people secured redemption. The exodus from a land of slavery was all about God's grace. And as part of unpacking what salvation looked like, what it meant to be the people of God, God makes with them this covenant of law. Uh, The moral law is the Ten Commandments uh, codified, Uh, but now the people of God are given the land of Canaan. Now that they are organized as a body politic, the civil law is also given to govern them as a nation, and a system of worship that revolved around the priesthood was also given. The Therefore, the ceremonial laws would teach Israel how they got dirty and how they could become clean. And so you have this complicated system of sacrifices that was introduced. The system required prophets, priests, and kings. The king's job was to ensure that Israel kept the covenant with God, to do justice and righteousness in the land so that they would dwell in peace. That is, to enjoy the shalom of the kingdom, bearing witness to the nations. The prophet's job was not just to bring revelation, but to keep the king faithful. Whenever God's kings broke covenant through idolatry or indifference, God would send a prophet to rebuke them, to call them out of their idolatry, and to remind them of the covenant blessings, but also the covenant curses. The priest's job was twofold. The priest was to teach about God, but also to offer sacrifices. And again, it is why the covenant of law is gracious. The law provides forgiveness and reconciliation through this sacrificial system. Now, the New Testament is quite clear that the Mosaic covenant, with all of its types like The offices of prophet, priest, and king, like the sacrifices of bulls and goats for sin, and the various feasts, they were all instrumental in preparing Israel for the promised Messiah. You see, all the promises of Abraham are taken up in this Mosaic covenant, and all the promises of family are fulfilled already. The promises of land are fulfilled. The promises of blessing to the nations, again, at least in part, are already fulfilled. In fact, when you read 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms, from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and they served Solomon all the days of his life. In other words, this, this Mosaic covenant, by the time you get to... Uh, Solomon, it, it's at its high water mark, and they're seeing this fulfillment. They're, they're plentiful in the land. They have peace and prosperity, and so all the blessings of the covenant have flowed their way. But it's also true to say this fulfillment was in, in a shadow form. It was pointing to even a greater reality, a reality that will only be fulfilled in the new covenant, where the family of Abraham would actually include Gentiles or the nations, and a place to dwell, a kingdom to belong that would extend all the way into a new heavens and earth. And the blessings that were promised, that they would be a blessing to the nations, it's seen and fulfilled in the coming of Christ, who was the prophet like Moses and who was David's greatest son, and who turns out to be the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world, the promised Messiah who came and did justice and righteousness and brings the shalom of the kingdom. So what you find is when you get to the book of Hebrews, which uh, unpacks for us the meaning of the book uh, of the law, it tells us in Hebrews 7 and 11 that we're told that the reason that the covenant of the law was given was to prepare God's people for the Levitical priesthood. And the Levitical priesthood would then point us to the new great high priest. That is, because the Levitical priesthood was required to be to prepare us for the Messiah, the law was required to prepare for the office of priesthood. Therefore, the law was given to drive the people to their priest and the sacrificial system. In that sense, the covenant of law is indispensable. To that covenant of promise, it is absolutely necessary to teach by symbol and type the need of a savior. That's why Hebrews three five says Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. That is, that is in shadow form that would at one point become, at some point in the future, become fulfilled in Christ. It's why Galatians 3.9 says that what then is the purpose of the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring, that is Christ, should come to whom the promise had been made. Indeed, Galatians 3.21 says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? And and he concludes, certainly not. For Galatians 3.24 reminds us the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. In other words, the promise of Abraham was served by the law because its redemptive purpose can be seen in bringing us to an intimate understanding of our sin and and pointing us to the Lamb of God who would take away that sin. In that sense, the covenant of law, it was always meant to be temporary. It was always made to serve the office of prophet, priest, and king, and to prepare for the promised blessing of the one, the Messiah, the, the anointed one who was to come. So if you can imagine, if you can think of salvation uh, like a building, and the foundation of the building is the covenant of creation, but Adam's disobedience ushers in curses of sin and death, uh, and chaos and the rebellion that followed creates this massive mess. And so God, in this covenant of Noah, he cleans up the mess with the flood. Picture it as, as removing the mess from the foundation. And so then in the covenant of promise, he then begins building with a promise made to Abraham and his seed about salvation. From that point onwards, the building of God's people continues to grow. Now, if you want to build, if you want to uh, go up, you use scaffolding to allow you to add successive stories. And so in that sense, the covenant of the law is like scaffolding around the building. It was never meant to be the building itself. It was always meant to be temporary. It was always meant to come down. So when Christ comes, the Messiah, the capstone that signifies the completion of the building since Christ himself fulfills the offices of prophet priest and king then the scaffolding of that old covenant of the covenant of law can finally be taken down because God's purposes are now complete in what way well Jesus is now David's greater son He is that covenant-keeping king who, on our behalf, rules in justice and righteousness. He is the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek because he fulfills the whole sacrificial system as a priest, but also a sacrifice as the, the lamb who takes away, the sinless lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And he was also like a prophet like Moses, who embodies and teaches the very law of God so that we ourselves, in following him, might love God and neighbour as we all. In that sense now, because Christ the capstone has come, the scaffolding of the covenant of law can now be taken down. However, of course, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, those that were written on Adam's heart, what we might call natural law that actually preceded the covenant of law that continues to be binding on all people. The ceremonial law is now abolished because it's fulfilled in Christ and the civil law expired with the nation Israel as a body politic. However, it's also important to understand that the covenant of law was also meant to shape God's people, not just in seeing their sin, but realising their calling to be holy, because God is holy. That's why when the covenant is made, we read in Exodus 19.6, that God would make his people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, Israel was to be God's light in a dark world. And even though they largely failed, it's important to remember then when we come to the new covenant, we have exactly the same purpose. That's why in 1 Peter 2.9 we read, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So even in our brief survey, we can see that all the promises of Abraham were taken up in the Mosaic Covenant so that the revelation of God's redemptive purposes can be progressively unfurled, unpacked. That is, it doesn't supersede previous covenant revelation but what it does is it expands and fulfills it more fully just as the davidic covenant develops even more the abrahamic promises through the mosaic covenant or the covenant of law and of course the new covenant displays the intent and the purposes of these covenants with even greater clarity through that person and work of jesus the christ hence why the mosaic scaffolding had to come down. It was always temporary. This is Discipleship Unplugged. Blessings and grace to you. Until next time, goodbye.